Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Elizabeth Fournier. Elizabeth, affectionately called the Green Reaper, is the author of The Green Burial Guidebook, Everything You Need to Plan an Affordable, Environmentally Friendly Burial. She's the owner and operator of Cornerstone Funeral Services, outside of Portland, Oregon. She serves on the advisory board for the Green Burial Council, which sets the standard for green burial in North America. She lives on a farm with her husband, daughter, and many goats. Find out more about her work at www.thegreenreaper.org. Welcome, Elizabeth. Be here. It's a beautiful, sunny day in boring Oregon, and life really can be better on the farm. <laughs> Boring Oregon, no. <laughs> you know, I I say it's fun to hear. I, I never tire of it. Peaceful, contented, hopefully. <laughs> I, yeah, I learned a lot from land your, and fresh air. Yeah, I learned a lot from your book, um, and I'm I can't wait to share some of those things. It certainly couldn't be all because um, it's only an hour, but some of the things that. Uh, you include in your book, but I thought we should start with um, both how you came to write the book and how you came to be in the funeral industry. You know, I've I've known some people who actually uh, have sort of a family connection to being in the funeral industry. I don't get the impression you do, and it's an interesting choice to make in your life. Um, so I, I really want people to know how that came to be. Yeah, it's a super big Samsonite piece of luggage to unpack. It's really a, a long story, but just to give you just a basic overview of who I am and why I'm here, I knew from a young age that doing something in the death arts was probably what I was impassioned to do. At a young age, I lost a lot of people in my life. And I knew that I was going down a path that other people weren't. Um, these were just deaths because of health and because of just life happenstance. Um, and I had other friends who had a mom and dad, and they had grandparents, and they weren't going to funeral homes, and they weren't going to rosaries and going to funerals like I was. I actually had a standard little dress with a little holly hobby little smock on it that I was wearing every time we had a family funeral. And I knew early on that the fact that I was playing with cars in the sandbox and I was lining up my brother's little cars in funeral processions and I was digging little graves and I was having uh, the dolls and, you know, the longer the procession of the cars, the more impressive it is for the dolls involved. I really knew that I was probably on to something and maybe living in a world a little different than my other little friends. Uh, probably a lot different. I, I get the impression from that you lost not just old people, but maybe a parent or someone young around you. Is that uh, true? 
Yeah, I lost my mom, and I was a little girl, so a little girl losing a mom is just tragic in its own right, but nobody else I knew had gone through that experience, so I wasn't able to relate to anybody else, and even though I looked really mainstream, and I was doing a lot of mainstream activities, I was part of the Brownies, and I was watching Donnie and Marie on television um, and all that, I still was sort of doing my own thing and really dealing with grief a different way. My father remarried right away. He was part of the Catholic Church, so they're really big on parents without partners. That was a really big group they did back in the 70s and 80s to partner everybody back up again. And so since he married so quick, I didn't have that time to grieve, and I really didn't have that time to process losing a parent and all of a sudden transitioning and now having a brand-new family where there's step siblings, and then there was a stepmother, and trying to figure out what that new normal looked like. So I did a lot of the healing and the grief work um, in play, but also paying attention to National Geographic magazine and looking through some of the death scenes there. When something came on television, which reflected maybe something I was going through or a, a funeral home or something, even though television doesn't really quite depict things in real life. So I found that that's really what I was using as a tool and as a medium to work through some of this grief. You know, I've I've interviewed and known a lot of people who uh, ultimately have done something in their lives connected to early loss like that, but uh, not always right away. So that's kind of notable to me that you were uh, you responded with curiosity. And, and kind of grappling as opposed to putting it away in a box, which is what a lot of kids do, especially if there's no support for it near them. So um, you've really had a lifelong, uh, you've, you've headed where you are now all your life. I guess we'd say. Yeah, I was right out there with my grief. My brother was very closed, and he really poured his sadness into getting excellent grades and excelling at school. And I was very dramatic and had lots of flair and wanted to sing it and dance it all out loud. So (laughs) I really had to kind of search for what I was doing to move through. But I did. And as I got older, I was there to sort of being a, a shoulder for friends who maybe had a sibling pass or a grandparent pass or even their dog or their cat just because I was that one person they knew, their go-to girl for death who really could relate. So um, I didn't go to mortuary college, but I went to a traditional school. But while I was in college, I had the opportunity to be a night keeper and live in a cemetery. And I did that scariest summer of my life. Glad I did it. And that got my foot in the door and I really never looked back. That that's interesting. Those accidents. I mean, I suppose not entirely, though, because um, that wouldn't be a natural choice, maybe, for a college student to do a night keeper <laughs> job. Uh, so that does relate to everything, you, think so. right? <laughs> but but still, um, maybe you didn't know at that time you'd spend the rest of your career doing that, and um, you have, but. Um, and I and I do find, you know, having been exposed to many um, over the years, people who work in the funeral industry, it, it seems to me from the outside, you can tell me if this is accurate, um, that people in the funeral industry either are have a calling like you do, and they tend to be very um, focused on serving the needs of grieving people and, and kind of the more emotional aspect while also selling the service, and people who don't seem to have that at all. 
that it's just how can I sell the most expensive thing? Um, is that accurate? Uh, it's it's impressionistic you know, on my yeah, part. Cheryl, it's accurate in a really weird way, and I think you're right. Now, this isn't just your standard job you fall into because you have no other skills. It's also not a job that the average person wakes up and says, that's what I want to do. But I think there is a small portion of people who say, hey, there's sales involved, and I'm a good uh-huh. salesperson, and even with death and dying, I still could get in there and sell. I um, haven't met many of those folks, but those people I'm sure are there. There's some who like the whole avant-garde sort of gospel aspect of cemeteries and find the creepiness and the scare factor interesting. Uh. They like the idea that they'll be doing something different than others. And then there's a whole chunk of us who had somebody pass away and it was profound and we dealt with the magnitude of the grief and we understood a little bit more than just there is a funeral service and there's just a visitation and, you know, just a cemetery visit. We understood there's a lot more of the inner workings going on and sort of explored that. You know, there used to be a contingency of people who did this job because their parents did this job or it was something in the family. And a fun little tidbit in my life was when I originally wanted to go off to college and start this job, my father really discouraged me from it. He thought, you know, this might be something really short-lived in my life that I think I want to do, but the reality is it isn't something really meant for me. I found out many, many years later, as a matter of fact, 25 years after I took that cemetery job, I was having a casual conversation with my father, and it came up that as a small child, he used to play trick-or-treat, I'm sorry, not trick-or-treat, kind of close, hide-and-go-seek in a funeral home with his cousin Frank, and that was baffling to me, and he mentioned that. He um, had a, you know, aunt and uncle who owned a funeral home in the south side of Chicago, and their child, Frank, and him were close, and he'd play this game, and he'd spend a lot of time there. And I said, wait a second, let's, let's back up. You had an aunt and uncle who owned a funeral <laughs> that home? That must have been shocking like, well, yeah, after 25 fact, years. <laughs> <laughs> is, is, it the, is it the baffled the and the, uh, the boggled I put together? What's so funny? <laughs> No, the, the, I'm I'm just imagining the shock after 25 years of finding out yeah, that he had. I mean, I, I had to say, well, how come you never told me this? And simply, he said it never came up. And I said, Dad, I I wanted to do this job since I was in junior high, and he said it wasn't you know, something that I thought you'd be well suited for. I saw my aunt and uncle. I saw the long hours. I saw them being on call. I I, I saw this being something that, you know, didn't really seem like a positive life experience. And and not just the aunt and uncle, but there was plenty of relatives on the way back for several generations. And this is what they did. And he just said, I guess you're vibrant and you're alive and you're full of all of this energy, you know, vim and vigor were the words he used. And he said, I can't see you doing this. And I thought, well, actually, au contraire, mon frere, the, uh, the vim and vigor is the reason why I probably should be doing this because I can bring that life and that joy and that hope to this job. So it turned out to be a fantastic fit. My father, he rest his wonderful soul, passed away really recently, but he has been very proud of me and it has been something that he has really enjoyed me doing so it's kind of neat how it has come full circle for me absolutely and i and i would say that this um direction that you've taken your funeral funeral directing uh into green burial 
uh, I'm sure that that energy that he was talking about must help you a lot in that arena because it keeps you, I would imagine, kind of open to possibilities people might be imagining and and kind of willing to jump on board with some of the unusual requests you might get. And and I have the feeling that's related to how you came to be interested in green burial in particular. Uh, and maybe you could share that a bit, how you began to go in that direction. Yes, absolutely. So the life calling, of course, was the toss-up between being the solid gold dancer or being um, undertaker, solid gold went off the air, so that option was not there. Plus, I don't think my dance skills were up to par for all the shiny leotards like I thought they were. And then from there, I decided I will go in and I will do the cemetery and I'll become an undertaker and I'll go through the steps. Now, as I started working my way in funeral homes, I realized in short order, oh my goodness, this is not what I thought it would be. I thought I would be this kind voice helping people, and I thought that I would be somebody who would have a purpose. And I found out in short order, you know, you kind of become a salesperson. I had a presentation. My job was either to sell gray spaces or was to sell caskets and have families sign up for packages. And after a couple of years in, I thought, this isn't, this really isn't what I was thinking. I moved around a little bit. And I did find some funeral homes, especially the small family funeral homes or working for the Catholic Church. I found those jobs to be a lot more satisfying. But I was really fortunate after a long time in the corporate world. I said a prayer as I walked through a cemetery once saying, okay, God, if you can hear me and if this is really the job I'm supposed to be in, I, I need to be... At a different funeral home, I need to find an out. I need to find something somewhere. I didn't quite know what it looked like, but I knew it was something. About a week later, I received a phone call from a friend who said, hey, there's this guy with this little funeral home out in Boring, and he needs somebody to run the place. And what do you think? And I didn't think that was the answer to the prayer. I thought, oh, my gosh, a little funeral home that's closing down the doors in Boring, Oregon. (laughs) That is not the beautiful petaled flower that I was assuming was unfolding for me. So I came out in the country. And then the green burial started because after about a, I don't know, short period of time. But you took the job anyway, Elizabeth. You took the job anyway? Even though you had that thought. Even though you had that thought about, oh, this is not the answer to my prayer. You took the job anyway? I took the job anyway. I took, yeah, I came out. It was a repurposed goat barn up on 40 acres. The gentleman had very few words. He just merely said, kid, what do you think? That was really what the interview consisted of. It was an old country handshake. Um, Didn't have anything in writing. And all my friends said, you are crazy to leave a corporate job. You, this, a corporate funeral homes really own all the funeral homes. They will never hire you again. Um, I, don't, I think this is foolish. And I thought about it and went forward with it. So um, it's kind of where I started. And, yeah, it was a big cut in pay. It was a lot more responsibility because I was now the manager and the full-time funeral director, and I was really running the show myself. Um, and within about six months of really struggling and trying to figure it all out, I received a phone call from a family that wanted to bury their loved one on their own property in their intentional community. And I was quite transparent with them. And I said, you know, I don't know. I've never done that before. I'm not sure, but I want to help you figure this out. So after a bunch of phone calls, 
Um, everybody was not saying no. They were sort of saying, well, um, you know, I guess. And so I wasn't really getting a clear answer. My final call was the mortuary board, and they said, well, the statutes read that every county can make their own decisions, and the county wasn't saying no. They were kind of just asking me some questions about the land. I went and looked at it, and um, after a couple more calls, just to make sure legally we weren't doing anything wrong, we had a beautiful burial on that property. We had a backhoe come out. We had a ceremony that was so fitting of the woman who passed away. And as I drove home from that, I thought to myself, this is my calling. It's not just working in the funeral industry, but it's this. It's helping families do things their own way, figuring it out with them, and really coming together to make the ceremony, the burial, everything completely community-centric, hands-on, just beautiful like this. Um, within a short period of time, I kept getting phone calls from families saying, hey, are you that girl who buries people in their yards? And so I started getting this reputation as this person who helps advocate and facilitate for families to make this happen. And it was legal, but no other funeral home was doing it. And it was some steps. And, of course, I was getting flack from people saying, I think you're breaking the law. But it turns out I wasn't. And I knew in my heart I wasn't. And we followed everything to the letter with paperwork and everything we did. And every ceremony we had on private property, if it was either somebody keeping the loved one in their own home for the visitation and the bathing, and or you know we were having a ceremony there or even having a burial on the private land, whatever it looked like, all these days and times with these families were as beautiful and moving and meaningful. And again, I knew that this is what I was destined to do. And so do you do that 100% now or uh, some well, form of it? To, but no, I'm a traditional funeral home in the sense where if a family comes to me and they would like to have their loved one cremated or they would like to have their loved one in a you know fancy metal casket and brought in a hearse and brought across town to a church, I do anything any family wants. I am... You know, as a funeral director, you are a servant to the community, and your job is to provide advice, direction, options, and allow families to grieve and heal and do whatever they need to do. So I would say green burial is very popular in Oregon, very much Mm -hmm. on the West Coast, but we still have probably about an 80% cremation rate of people who are still choosing that. The beauty of being in Oregon is we have an eco-friendly cremation. We have a water-based cremation, which has a zero-carbon footprint. And so that's something I can assist families with. So You know, it's time for our country, Elizabeth, it's... It's time for our first break, but I want to I want to uh, dive into that when we get back. I'm thinking about uh, my own wife's death and what we did following her death. I'm I'm realizing there were many green aspects to that experience, and some not out of lack of information. But I'd love to get into that more. I'm I'm incredibly uh-huh. intrigued by the water uh, cremation. It wouldn't even be called cremation, but by that, and I'm sure other people would be too. So let's talk about that when we get back. And listeners, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. And you can find Elizabeth Fournier and her book at thegreenreaper.org. Be back soon. (laughs) 
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Today's woman faces a stressful world when it comes to staying healthy. We are bombarded by media messages with contradicting ideas about fitness and nutrition. We need to keep our diet, relationships, and stress in check. It's time to get the right message and have the most fun. Join hosts Andrea Beeman, Lisa Lutan, and Michelle Fenighaus for Healthy View Radio. It's health and happiness in one show every Thursday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is a difference in health and wellness programs. There can be mainstream programs, and then there is something extra. That something extra is called tips to keep you healthy, happy, and motivated with your host, Kristen Harper. If you want to hear some behind-the-scenes talk radio when it comes to health and wellness, the why as well as the how, be sure to tune in each week. This show will inspire you to be healthy and happy for life, as well as become the best version of yourself. Listen Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Elizabeth Fournier, author of The Green Burial Guidebook. And Elizabeth, before the break, I was saying I wanted to to dive into talking about this um, water option that accomplishes the same 
purpose as cremation, but very ecologically. Uh, and then, of course, you and I were laughing about that on the break, diving into a water burial. But um, <laughs> could you describe that to people? Because I don't think people are, most people are aware of that process. And uh, it's very intriguing to me. Okay, sure. Yeah, love to talk about it. So here on the West Coast, especially Oregon, Washington, California as well, we're very environmental. We grow our veggies. We grow our herbs. We really get into cleaning our hiking trails. So I'm finding out since we're so environmental, so many baby boomers who are the people now who are dying or making plans for people who are dying have really embraced the concept of cremation. They have all said, I don't want to spend money to take up 32 square feet to have a grave. I don't want to have to buy a casket, be inside a grave liner. I don't want to do any of these things. I want to be cremated. So science writers and a lot of ecologists are finding out that there is an issue with cremation. It's really not very carbon neutral. There's a Mm. lot of problems with it. We are having a lot of mercury and carbon monoxide and sulfur dioxide, heavy metals. All this stuff is getting emitted into the atmosphere during cremation. This is with the flame and the high heat. So there was something that was done originally at the Mayo Clinic back in Minnesota, and it really caught on as a fantastic idea. So this machine is a machine which takes care of the cremation but with water. There's several names. I'll just list a couple of them because no one has really quite settled on the best name. We call this alkaline hydrolysis. We call this water resumation, um, aqua dissolution, bio-cremation, eco-cremation, all these different things. And this is really the concept of putting a body into a chamber. So think about a nice stainless steel brown chamber. It's filled with water. It's heated up. And there's just basically a nice little water bath that goes on, all right? So the tissue is broken down, and it's really a process extremely similar to natural decomposition. Just within a few hours, everything dissolves down to a skeletal form, just like your standard cremation. And then with that skeleton, we go back and we make that smaller, so we end up getting cremated remains. So cremation can still happen with the water, you'll get an urn back, which has cremains in it. You still can scatter these, bury them, put them on your mantle, fireplace, whatever you want to do. Some families seem to really like this idea because they move. And if they're going to move someplace, you can just merely take the urn and, you know, there's your uh, father coming with you wherever you go. Um, So it's just something which is pretty neat. So how does that sound? Is that something you want to do? Do you want to dive into that... um, <laughs> well, it's it's uh, it's interesting because um, yes, it's very intriguing. But I also um, got a little. I, I of course knew about green burial; these pa- um, patches of land that now um, bury you without liner, casket, all that, without any embalming um agents which are also quite unecological i i knew about that and there's a couple near near me here um and i sort of am intrigued by the idea of really feeding the land with with my leftover body that's quite intriguing too so i don't know it may come down to when i die in the sense that right now in california um water cremation is not available yet 
I get the impression yeah, it is who you are. In, because that's really what has to happen. Somebody has to lobby for it. It has to be put on a ballot. There's voting. It becomes a statute. All these things. Right now in California, no one has a machine yet. And there's a little bit of studying still going on on the uh, environmental process of it. But people will find that that water afterwards is uh, pretty darn fluid. The fluid is just so sterilized that it's given out to seed farmers to use. People use it to fertilize their land in a real natural way. And I do know one state that gives it to farmers and their pigs drink it. So we're looking pretty good as far as everything left over. Interesting. You know, I I realized that when my wife died, this was 1995, um, that a lot of the things we did, we might basically put into a green burial approach although she was cremated but from the point of view on our in our minds of that being a more ecological option not uh, not having any of those other options available but we bathed her at home she was in my home our home for 36 hours everyone came and we basically had a wake then we drove behind her to the crematorium um, and delivered her. Then I came back uh, to watch her body be put into the oven and watch the beginning of the burning process. Um, and and what the reason I'm going through that whole explanation is that that was incredibly psychologically helpful for me. Um, yeah. Uh, You know, I had talked to people before she died about the terrible jolting moment when the person's body is taken away. Um, I've heard that described so many times. I never had that moment. And I think that was helpful. I think it was so helpful, actually... We didn't. We did a little bit of a nice thing, not not as uh, full blown as you were talking about with dry ice and all that. We put fans and we had ice in front of the fans. We didn't have air conditioning at that time. Uh, we kept things cool. Honestly, though, witnessing a bit of decomposition was also helpful to me. And I wondered what you thought about that. Like, it was clear to all of us that she was not in her body anymore. Uh, you I know, think what you're sharing is amazingly beautiful, and I'm so thrilled for you that you were able to have that experience because you're right, it is so healing, and you could advocate for yourself. And back in the mid-'90s, I mean, you were really groundbreaking. Even though this was fully legal, people had no idea they could go to a funeral home and ask for what they wanted and needed. Inspiring. You're inspiring. Yeah, but I have to tell you a few things. I mean, I I had some. I had a long time for us to think about it. That was helpful. I had some people whisper in my ear, like a woman, just my neighbor, came over one day just to hang out, and she said, "You know, when my husband died, um, I didn't know that I could. Uh, I didn't know at first that I could actually watch the the um, the burning." the cremation, and someone suggested it, and I did it, and it was really good. So I was like, I'm doing that. <laughs> you know, it was, uh-huh, uh-huh. I got some really good help along the way. However, um, I had to pay extra because they wouldn't, a lot extra actually, because they wouldn't let uh, me be there if anyone but her was being cremated. 
I don't know what the logic was, but they had to shut the place down, basically. Uh, Yeah, and that's what they do now, too. Crematories do that, but it's much more common. So it's something that they can schedule pretty readily into the system. They can, you know, they normally have some times when they know families are probably going to ask for this and they can make it happen, and they're set up for that. A lot of crematories have a visitation room. They try to make it a little bit less industrial for families. Mm -hmm. And what do you think about this... um, you know, I got the impression from your book there might be some things to be a little concerned about with a bit of decomposition happening, in this case, in my home. Did I get that mm-hmm. right? Or is it just that people don't want to see it? Well, I touch on it in a sense that when you're handling the body, you don't have to take all of the universal precautions as people tend to think. I think that's something that's very nerve-wracking for people. They think that, oh, my goodness, this person isn't alive. Um, I, I'm not really sure if I need to wear gloves. I don't really know what I, what I need to do. And so, um, you know, I have a little a section here from my book, if I can read. That would be, you know, just straightforward Absolutely. for families. Go right ahead. Um, there's a chapter here about how just taking care of a loved one and the green embalming, the handling of the body in Chapter 8. And it talks about the maintaining the sanitary environment. And it just reads, if the loved one died at home, there will always be soiled items such as sheets, clothes, and towels. If you prefer, you can choose to wear universal precautions such as disposable latex gloves, protective clothing, and eye protection when handling these items with the deceased body. But most of the time, this is unnecessary. This is just somebody who slowly has gone to sleep. You just need to try to avoid direct contact with blood and open sores and practice thorough hand washing before, during, and afterwards to minimize the risk of spreading infections and illness. Um, And there's a couple different things that go into this more, but the idea is, again, most people don't have a pandemic. They don't have tuberculosis. They're not going to be spreading any illness to you. They probably, if they died at home, they've been under hospice care. They're slowly passing away and um, they still are your loved one, and little by little, their body is going to want to just sort of go away, kind of like you said with your wife. You do notice some slight changes, but if you keep the cool temperatures, you keep the air conditioning, you keep, I think that's brilliant. You said you have the ice in front of the fan. Dry ice, I have all these listings for coolants and way to do that in my book, but dry ice is a tricky one because there is off-gas. It is. It's a little bit hard to handle, and you're not quite with it at that moment. My friends took care of all that. I don't know if I... Who's a green mortician or someone like an end-of-life doula, somebody else who can, you know, maybe step in a little bit and help you with those items if you're not so sure what to do. Right. So that, um, that's right. definitely something and, which is curious to people. And people do bathe their loved one. A lot of times they keep their loved one just laying on the bed. They might move them to a new bed. A lot of times when people are getting ready some, ready for burial, they'll just merely have another sheet that they can use as a shroud that they kind of can swallow their loved one into it and then go on to the crematory, go on to the backyard, go on to the green burial cemetery or whatever they want to do. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I, uh, oh, the other thing I just wanted to say out loud, I don't know if this is still true uh, either, or maybe it's true some places, but I was also cautioned not to call uh, them to pick her body up until I was ready for her to go. Uh, With my mother, though, I think we called, they, I checked that out and they said, no, you can just call and say what time 
you want us to come. But um, that was important too, since we were since we were conducting uh, a long uh, open house for her. We didn't call until you know we it, they, until it was time, basically. Do you? Uh, that's a really think that's important common? thing. Just because somebody has passed away, all of a sudden, 911 does not need to be notified. You don't need to call the police. Um, if it's an expected death, it's just a matter of if you are using a funeral home, you can always call hospice. You can call the funeral home. You can report the fact the person passed, but you can let them know that the family wants to spend some time, and you have the right to keep your loved one there with you. You do not have to have them whisked away and have that jolting moment that you've talked about. You can help the funeral home if you want to transport from where they've fallen asleep and died onto a gurney. You can be in the room. You cannot be in the room. Um, a lot of funeral homes give you those moments even when they arrive if you're still not ready. But yes, you're definitely, I think, when you do call and say, okay, I'm ready, sometimes the funeral home can be there within an hour or two. A lot of times for a family, it just works best if you have that hour in your mind knowing, okay, at 8 o'clock, we'll set it for 8 o'clock for them come to bring mother into their care, and then that helps you maybe mentally know that that time will come, that will be happening, but also give you all the time you need. Absolutely. And the other thing was um, we were we were fortunate to have friends in every location, and or, or at least the right people turned up at the right time. Um, the people who actually came were willing to let us help, which I know is also not universal. Um, and so we were able to help shroud her. And, you know, we'd already washed her and dressed her and everything, but we were able to help with the whole process. For me, may, maybe I'm a secret con- control freak, but... <laughs> It helped me a lot to be in, involved in the entire process. I felt as if I was honoring the body that had carried her around for all that time yes. and yes. doing so my final so caring. Healthy, so correct. Absolutely. That was your mother. That was somebody you loved, and you have the right to take that time. The bot, we forget that this is our right. We have family rights when somebody passes away without having to turn your loved one over to somebody. You can ask a funeral home if you can help or if you can bathe. And if somebody says no, you might want to try to call another funeral home. You can get as much as you need out of this experience. And please don't let anybody put any barrier up saying no to you. Right. I know that the, uh, um, there, there. The the idea of a death doula was not a thing at that point, but our friends helped us, you know, to to get some of that. But now that's uh, a growing movement, and that just seems wonderful to me that there are people who can help facilitate what it is you want because it's so hard to do that for yourself at that moment. I mean, I had pre- I had been preparing for a long time, so I was relatively more able since she was sick for 10 years my wife was um i was relatively able compared to a lot of people who are in total shock and and don't know which end is up for a while so that's i i also got from your book it's it's really helpful to kind of think through what you think you might want uh when it's not an issue and maybe we can come back and talk about that after this next break Yes. Good with you, Elizabeth? 
Absolutely beautiful. Can't wait. Uh, okay, so uh, listeners, you as you know, you can go to the Good Grief Host page. You can also send me an email or look at my website, weatheringgrief.com, to find me. And to find Elizabeth Fournier, you can go to thegreenreaper.org. Back after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Ready to transform your health and your world? Join host Melissa Alexander for Insight Living with Vitality. Melissa and her guests go behind the scenes on what it takes for practitioners and clients to transform themselves and others. She provides insight to medical procedural breakthroughs, available product resources, and explains lifestyle choices designed to improve and expand your vitality. It's time to get rid of that baggage, remove those blockages, and prevent buildup from hindering your progress in life. Tune in every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent, inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand. All from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I've been talking with Elizabeth Fournier about uh, green burial in all its many forms and um, kind of the the things that are good to look out for, I guess. And are there any other things, Elizabeth, that you like to uh, recommend that people keep their eyes out if they're wanting to do more of a go more in the green direction, I guess. What do th- people not think about? Uh, I mean, I was fortunate. People 
who had lost folks and wanted to go more natural, I think is what we were calling it at the time, um, kind of made suggestions to me and I learned that way over time. And of course, she had cancer, so and she she uh, was one of the founders of a cancer organization here in the Bay Area. And so a lot of people died in the course of her illness. So we we were exposed to a lot of different ways people did it, <laughs> you know. Um, but what what do you think people need to be most aware of in um, considering green burial or um, you know kind of green green oriented um, uh, afterlife planning? If someone has their heart set on a green burial, then I instruct them to work backwards. Think about where you would like to be placed to rest. And if you want to do that on private property, then let's work on that prior to you passing away. Do you have land? You can do this. Do you have a friend or relative land? You can do this. Check in with your local county with the planning and zoning and see if this indeed is legal to what county and what state you happen to live in. There's different rules all over the place. Find out if this is something you can do. If you can, if it's what you even want to do, then you want to think about how will the space be prepared, where on the property will the space be dug, and then you can look at some of those variables. If you are interested in using a cemetery, the good news is every 50 state has at least one cemetery that will allow natural burial. And to give you that basic direction of what natural burial is, it's simply having a body which hasn't been embalmed and it's not placed into a metal casket and it doesn't have to be placed into a grave, which at the bottom of the grave has a burial container made out of concrete, which in turn is there just simply so all the soil stays even and level. So you can get away with those components at several places. Now in the Bay Area, you have the beautiful fortitude of actually having natural burial preserves where it just is fully natural burial. Um, And what I mean by that is there are places that are being created just to accept bodies that are either in biodegradable or sustainable containers or even sheets or shrouds to be placed in naturally. Uh, There's a place there in Mill Valley, Forever Fernwood, and a new beautiful place in Parisima, just at Half Moon Bay. It's an old cemetery which was resurrected and made into this gorgeous area. And then there's a lot of standard cemeteries which have decided that they will have green burials either throughout the cemetery or there's a special acre put aside for this. And that is really groundbreaking, um, not to be funny, but also really (laughs) new and amazing. And it's great that people are really going back to what we did because before the Civil War, this is what we did. We buried people in a natural state in our backyard or down at the churchyard. We made this very simple. There wasn't the funeral industry with the embalming and with the expensive caskets and worrying about keeping cemeteries looking sexy and level and having those grave liners inside. We just really did this economically and environmentally. So people are really getting back to that, and it's really getting embraced. That's fantastic. Before we went on today, I went and looked at, there's a cemetery right near me. Uh, It's a wonderful place to walk. I walk there a lot because it's quiet and it's got a lot of trees and quite beautiful, and I like I like it a lot, but I didn't mm-hmm. know if they might have a green alternative there. They certainly don't mention it, but I'm going to call them and find out. 
because I've lived here yeah, over 30 years. That would be perfect. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, and if it isn't something that already is designated, there's no reason why it can't be. And I always encourage people, if there's a little cemetery that you see that doesn't seem to get a lot of business, that might be a perfect place because a lot of cemeteries are thrilled just to have somebody want to be laid to rest there, that they would eschew the concept of having you pay or take care of a burial liner. And without having to have a burial liner inside the grave space, you can have a green burial. So there's a lot of little historic and pioneer cemeteries that are allowing that to happen. And luckily in Oregon, I was able to find a bunch in eastern Oregon because a family wanted to bury their person green. There was nothing that was set up. And as I made more calls, these little cemeteries were thrilled that somebody actually wanted to use them. And they said, yeah, we don't need to have a grave liner. Sure, why not? So did you know it? In rural, rural, very conservative eastern Oregon, there's all these cemeteries that can do this. So the world is really changing, becoming really a miraculous place. And you'd you'd think that that would be, uh, you know, the Bay Area is a pretty... uh, a pretty green oriented i mean the city pays for you know recycling trucks like <laughs> so mm-hmm. i could imagine that it would be asked for a lot around here and that there would be a slightly more open demeanor about it but that's not always true because there's also the fact that it is a city so it's a very crowded uh graveyard actually that's near me just for an example and I can imagine that they wouldn't like anything that would mean that the ground is not level. And um, well, that the might... neat thing is there's a cemetery in Sacramento as well as Colma and L.A. and Santa Monica. And these are allowing green burials to happen within their grounds. And they still have the, more of the modern burial because there are families who want to do something more standard as what we think of as your typical sort of burial. But they're also opening up their gates for others. So it's pretty neat. It is. I, I also was, just just as an example of the kinds of ideas that I got from the book, the idea that if that is a problem, perhaps you can turn the, the liner over, um, you know, not have a casket, yes. not have embalming, Excellent. but turn turn yes, the thing over. That, that If for some reason they have regulations that you have to have a burial liner, then you can merely ask them to place it upside down. That's what a lot of Jewish cemeteries do because it's really important for the person to be in the kosher casket and touch the earth rather mm. than have a box in the ground that you're laying the casket down in. You can have right. a loved one go into the grave first and merely they would turn that box upside down so we have the walls on the side and the top, but that bottom area is open and you would be able to protect the grave, have the land and soil be even, but then your loved one could naturally go back to the earth. So there are some alternatives. There are shades of green, a really important point I love to drive home. You can't always go as green as you want, but darn it, there is always a shade of green in there. Even if you're going to do everything, that which, which is typically pretty standard, you still can consider recycled paper from memorial folders. You still can consider asking everybody not to have a Starbucks cup in their hand, but do something, you know, with a glass jar or something a little bit more sustainable. Or even decide that rather than have cut flowers sent to the church or the family's home, you give plants, something which can be buried. And even better, how about a succulent, something that takes very, very little water? It brings up another memory for me. I had a two and a half year old when my wife died, and um, 
she we were talking about guardian angels but she twisted it and call, and and started calling my uh, my wife uh, her garden angel and so oh. at at the at the memorial people brought plants and we planted them in our backyard oh, uh, I love that garden angel oh, <laughs> she kept on to that for quite some time the garden angel thing and of course everyone else reinforced it quite a bit um, so, and I bring that up to say it's one thing I got from your book is it reminded me how very personal that process is if you allow it to, to be and how much I, I um, interviewed a, a filmmaker from Australia who made a film called Tender. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's, oh, yes, uh, yes. Yeah, and and the way that people, you know, got caskets, it was about a, uh, for people who haven't seen it, it was about a um, group of, of people who kind of took back burial in their area, and um, they got, you know, cardboard caskets in, in advance and decorated them, and they really made it so, so personal, and I was, I was so touched by that film for that reason, I think, that that your um, loved one's passing or your own passing could be made so individual and um, beautiful. There's so many videos of this on YouTube, families who decided to just keep their loved one at home or they've decided to go step-by-step through the process of somebody dying and having the children uh, paint the cardboard casket or deciding that they're going to bathe their loved one or just even help their own transportation off to the crematory or the cemetery or the backyard. And however you choose to do it is just so perfect and so lovely, and you can do it as tender as possible. It's wonderful. And it's also a lower cost. Which is not yeah, a material that's really because, isn't it? Yeah, it's saving yeah, the environment is beautiful. Saving the green in your wallet—that's beautiful. Really <laughs> helping yourself deal with your own grief on a real, a real basic human level is just really wonderful. Especially because, um, you know, we'd adjusted to the loss of income a long time before that. But many people, uh, someone's death is a severe um, financial trauma. And yeah. the idea that what might be best for you also might be least expensive, that that just seems very powerful in my mind. Um, yeah, you do not have to hand your loved one over to the neighboring funeral home and look at their price list and choose a package. You have the right to shop around. You have right to do a lot of the aspects yourself, make a lot of the aspects, provide transportation in a lot of states, um, you, know, you know, buy your casket off line, make your own shroud. There's so many things in this book really covers that do-it-yourself culture to really give people that hands-on empowerment to work through their grief. And also you have the right to look for someone who is uh, a funeral uh, ed consultant who is not only open to that, but as you are, uh, believes in it and is, and is all for it. Um, so I want to yeah. thank you for being that person, Elizabeth. <laughs> Thank you. It's been great to have you and um, keep in touch. Let me know, uh, you know, what comes next. Uh, it's about time to for us to leave for today. For this topic to your listeners. Absolutely. And if you want to find Elizabeth Fournier and her book, The Green Burial, Burial Guidebook, just go to greenreaper.org. 
Next week, I'll have Susan Hayden, who started her project, Library Girl, to help her through the grief after the death of her husband. She brings together writers and musicians once a month to share their work. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.